Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. Well, I guess we've all been there, a troubled teen. It's also the time that being a parent can be such a tough juggle. Are you being too soft, too hard? Are you pushing them away? Should you be friends with your children? Can you be? And if all that's not hard enough, what do you do when your teenagers are in trouble? Theirs is often a world saturated with sex, drugs, alcohol. Australia has an ever-increasing rate of depression and suicide among teens. Connie Ray is a licensed counsellor and has worked with families for more than 25 years now. She also knows what all this is like personally, painfully, with a son who battled drug addiction. Connie has now written a book out of that experience to guide other parents through tough times. It's called Hope for Parents of Troubled Teens. What a title. Ain't that good to know. It's a practical guide to get teenagers back on track using personal and professional advice. I know this is going to be a very helpful chat for lots of people. Connie Ray, welcome to Open House. Thank you for inviting me. It's a privilege to be able to share with you. Thank you, Connie. Let's put the big question out there to begin with. Why are teenagers so hard and so challenging to deal with? Uh, I guess probably the, the most important reason is that they are moving from being your child to being their own individual person. Uh, and going through all of that process uh, requires quite a bit of uh, challenge for the teenager and for the parent, trying to find their place and their way without having too much regret, too much um, difficulty in getting to where they need to go. Their world is different, very different than their parents' world. Um, even, if you, even if their parents grew up uh, you know, in a world like 20 years ago, the world has changed so much for teens and parents, uh, and I'm sure it's the same in Australia as it is here in the States. Connie, is that process beginning earlier in a teen's life these days, do you think? I think it is. Uh, you know, we have such a media challenge uh, for parents to be aware of, and uh, teenagers today have never known a world without uh, computers or cell phones or all of those kinds of um, things that, that most of us um, older parents, grandparents, uh, when, when I share with my grandchildren that when I was a teenager, we had a phone that was attached to the wall with a three-foot cord. Yes. Uh, <laughs> they find that kind of hard to believe. Yes, that's right. As I said, your book emerged, this uh, brilliant title, Hope for Parents of Troubled Teens, from your own personal and painful experience. Take us through that. Well, we, uh, my husband and I met as um, uh, freshmen in the Christian high school, and so fortunately we had a lot of the same uh, attitudes and a lot of the same thinking about um, uh, how we wanted to parent, how we wanted our lives to be as a uh, married family, and, and we wanted to be very involved in the church. We wanted our kids to know that Jesus was, uh, you know, a part of our family, and indeed one of the first words that they learned to speak was Jesus. Uh, his picture was on the wall along with grandparents and other family members, and, and uh, he was uh, considered uh, by them to be a part of our family as much as anybody else. Uh, but uh, we had this one child who seemed to have a penchant for um, doing things his own way, and he was always, uh, I, I've always often said that you know, he was apologetically um, uh, defiant. <laughs> um, he wanted to do things his own way from the time he was uh, basically um, a toddler, 
and uh, when he was around eight years old, um, we had an incident. I don't even remember now what the incident was, but uh, it sent me to my knees before God saying, you know, if we can't manage this child now and he won't listen to us now, what's it going to be like later, you know, when he's a teenager? And I went to the Word, and, and um, I don't necessarily recommend this as the best way to get a, an answer from God, but I opened my Bible um, uh, with my eyes closed, stuck my finger on the page, and opened it up to uh, read um, uh, from the Bible, you know, the, the law that I have written in your heart, the words that I put in your mouth won't depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your children or out of the mouth of your children's children from henceforth and forevermore. Wow. And I thought, wow. Yes. Uh, later, as I read that in the, the New Living Bible, um, it said, uh, you know, the, the word that I have given you will be on your children's lips and on the lips of their children forever. And so in that, in that one moment, um, I believe God gave me a promise that whatever was going to be happening in the future, and I didn't know what that was going to be, uh, that that um, God was telling me things were going to be okay in the eventual end. But when this boy got to be a teenager, um, he found himself in more and more uh, little scrapes and troubles, and and eventually uh, it ended up with uh, taking some money from the family and hawking some items and um, borrowing Dad's car, taking little joy rides and trips out of town, and um, just a variety of things that caused us to feel like, you know, this can't be going anywhere good. And then a drug addiction. I think I've said before that addiction might be a little too strong, but he certainly was uh, very involved with marijuana and alcohol and experimented with a bunch of other things, too, and decided he didn't like them. But but they were pretty much a part of the, the whole picture of, I want to do what I want to do, and I'm, I want to find out um, what the world has to offer, and I'm, I'm not going to pay attention to anything that anybody has told me. And uh, eventually we went to juvenile authorities to try to get some help, and um, because he was doing things that were, were illegal, basically offenses against the family, but we didn't know how far that might go. And uh, so eventually what they did was um, put him in juvenile detention, and uh, he was angry with us. We were fearful for what might be happening to him, and yet at the same time we were relieved that we knew he couldn't get into any trouble for a while. How old was he then, and, uh, Colleen? Uh, at that time he was 16, and, uh, and then the next, next several years were in and out of juvenile detention, um, when he was 18, we celebrated his 18th birthday in a dingy little room in the juvenile detention um, place, and then they walked him across the street to the county jail, and because uh, he had another month or so to serve of time. And at this time, we as parents now are saying, you know, what have we done? Um, we were so inept as parents that we had to bring the law into it, and, and now he's answering to other other authorities and. And yet there was something also that we understood that if that if he had to yield to some authority and it wasn't going to be us, uh, he was going to have to learn at some point that there was an authority that he was going to have to yield to, and eventually we hoped that would be God. How was he relating to you as his parents through that time? Uh, he's he's uh, behaving um, disrespectfully, of course, because of the things that he's doing. But uh, the other side of it was, you know, I'm sorry you don't like what I'm doing, but it's my life and I get to make my choices. And and we basically were saying, yeah, it is your life, but you don't get to make your choices right now. You're living in our house, and these are the things that we expect from you and that uh, and, and we have values and standards. We have uh, beliefs that we are, are important to us. 
we were very active in our church family, uh, in the body of the church, and um, we were embarrassed. We were uh, feeling like a lot of the things that we had been uh, teaching and, and working with others were just being devalued by the fact that our own child you know, was, was not um, under our basic control. Did you find yourself questioning whether you'd done the right thing in bringing up this boy? One of the messages that I want to give to parents in this book is that, you know, I, I believe that we, we generally think that we're trying, to, we're doing the best that we can in raising our children. We're doing what we have um, knowledge of, what, how we've been parented, you know, our different experiences that we've had all enter into how we parent our children. And, uh, you know, and we, uh, my, my husband and I, you know, knew that we had done some things um, we, we wish he hadn't done, and we wish we had done some things that that we uh, had neglected to do. But um, but I think one of the things that becomes really important for parents to grasp is that our children are individuals, unique in their own right. Each of them has to make their own choice and their own decision about what they're, how they're going to relate to God. And that um, this child, there were many times when I said, you know, God, why did you put this child in this family? You know, we've tried to do everything right. We wanted to present a good Christian um, perspective to others, you know, who were raising their children. And, and, and now look at this. And God made it very clear to me at one point that um, this is the right child, the right child for this family. This is the right family for this child, um, that, that God um, doesn't make mistakes. And um, that what we were going through with this child would help my husband and I to grow stronger in our awareness of God, it would help our other children. We had three other children uh, who were also watching what was going on, and um, and we just really believed that God was going to do something for all of us, um, understanding that, uh, you know, the title of the book, Hope, you know, um, hope is basically centered in, in God and in his, our relationship with him. But that hope is also centered in mom and dad as we find our hope in our relationship with God and, and look at things that will um, hopefully, hopefully bring that child back to where he, we want him to be, yes. where God wants him to be. Connie, how long did it take for your son to emerge from that tough place where he was? Um, he reached a point where... Uh, the, Things got better, then they got worse, then they got better, then they got worse again. And the last time, uh, he was given the um, uh, the um, option of either going to a treatment program or going to jail for a, a long time, and none of us knew what long time meant. He had kind of lost hope in himself by that time because he had tried to change some things, and, and the marijuana and the alcohol kept popping back into his life again. But um, he was given the opportunity to go to a treatment program, and he chose that, uh, not believing that it was going to be helpful to him at all. But when he um, got into the program, uh, they allowed him to call home uh, about two weeks after he was into the program. It was a Christian program. Uh, not a, it was a secular program, but with a Christian emphasis, because they wanted to reach, uh, you know, a lot of people, and the Christian part of it was... Uh, was uh, voluntary, and he had chosen to go uh, to the Bible studies and to work with that. And he called to tell us, um, Mom, Dad, I'm going to be okay. I've given my life to Christ, uh, and I know it's going to be better, and I'm going to make it, and I'll stay here as long as it takes. And he stayed in that program for nine months, came out a new person. Um, He's uh, been married now for 28 years to his high school sweetheart, 
uh, that uh, he had uh, had sat walked with him through some of these things, and uh, has raised two teenagers of his own, <laughs> and uh, and he's he's uh, been a, a respectful, you know, wonderful, loving, uh, kind son, and helped a lot of others to find their way because he's been there and he knows uh, the pain of it. Yes. Take us to that moment when you got that call. How that felt when you heard those words from him. Well, it was hardly, hardly anything we could say. You know, this was uh, just a, a couple of days before Christmas. And uh, we had taken him to the program, stopped at the local music store, bought him a guitar for his Christmas present, knowing that that was something he would like. And that was our Christmas present to him, that and the program. And uh, he didn't accept that program as much of a present at that point in time. But uh, we believed that, you know, that was a, a, such a, a, a godly timing for us to get that Christmas present from God uh, and from our from our son, and um, uh, his uh, his life just really began to blossom at that point in time. And uh, and there was no way I, I knew that God was going to bring something about in this boy's life, but I didn't know how long it was going to take. And, and I think that that's one of the things that uh, I want to really express in this book too. That you know that that if we as parents um, can find the things that will help reduce any of those uh, barriers that we might have in place between us and our child. Uh, it may take a lifetime for that child. We might not see it in our lifetime, but I don't think that it's necessarily going to take that long uh, for us to really understand that God has given us a hope and, and give, given us things to do. Um, at, at the end of each chapter, I give parents uh, the selection of things that they can do so that they aren't feeling helpless. And uh, a lot of those things can really work at helping them to make a better relationship with that child, even if they seem to be rejecting it all. I want to explore some of those in detail in just a moment. On Open House, we're with Connie Ray, the author of the book Hope for Parents of Troubled Teens. As we're hearing, she knows exactly what this is like as a professional counsellor, but also very personally. Connie, we've heard about your experience with your son over so many years and, and such a good result. What do you say were the main reasons that you got through such challenging times, would you say? I think it, it came to a point for me where I finally had to stop feeling sorry for myself. Uh, I had to take the focus off of me and what people might be thinking of, of me as a parent and realize that this child desperately needs uh, something, and I don't know what it is that I can give. Uh, but uh, I believe that God can help me give him what he needs, and partly that was helping him to know that he was loved. Um, I, I think uh, if I were looking at some of those things that that really made an influence on me eventually, it was realizing the situation with our son was not hopeless, that, that I could reach him, that we could reach him, uh, that we might have to change some of the ways that we interacted with him. And then asking God for wisdom so that we would know what to do and, and how to do it and when to do it. Uh, it it's hard when your child is making bad decisions and, and their thinking is um, uh, just seems to be out of whack. I remember sitting with him several times, uh, talking with him, and he was always saying, well, you, you don't hear me, you aren't listening to what I'm saying. And, and uh, so we would sit, and my husband and I would sit, and we would just kind of clench our teeth and bite the ends of our tongue to keep from saying anything. And then when he was all done, we would say, yes, we heard, we, we get it, but we don't agree with it. And then he would stomp off saying, you never listen. 
Uh, and I think that that's part of where teenagers are many times. It is they want us to agree with the things that that they're uh, thinking and that they're doing, even though we know that those things are going to take them on a wrong path. Um, uh, we we need to work at not alienating that child, yes. uh, but not enabling their behavior either. Uh, I think one of the things that uh, I have said many times to parents is, you know, never never miss an opportunity to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> But the other part of that is is equally important. You know, don't let your child think that their behavior is okay by your silence. So that it, it's important to find a balance of being able to say, you know, this this doesn't work. This isn't a good choice. Um, we won't accept that kind of behavior in the house. You can't talk like that to your mom or your dad or your siblings. Um, uh, his his uh, our son's uh, conversation was was not so much disrespectful in terms of using you know uh, curse words or things like that, but um, I've, I've talked with so many parents over the years you know who have allowed their children to use some pretty disrespectful language in their interactions with them, and so uh, it's really important to to look at what you as a parents really. Um, what your standards are, what your values are, what your beliefs are, and not apologize uh, for them to your child. You also point out that there are different parenting styles, authoritarian, autocratic, indifferent, and democratic. How do you know which one to use in a particular circumstance if you're acknowledging wisely that all children are different? I think in that chapter what I'm wanting uh, to help parents understand is that, that if they can identify how they deal with that child... Uh, you know, the difference between being the parent who says, you know, I want you to do this and I want you to do it yesterday, and the parent who says, you know, these are things that are important and we want you to do them, um, It's um, and these are the reasons why, uh, and these are the consequences if you don't do them. Um, uh, it's being able to come back from, from any one of those parenting styles, which have been kind of identified in psychology, I guess, and, and, uh, and looking at teenage um, behavior and parenting behavior, and being able to say, you know, there's a style that, that is a, a better style, and it's one that says, um, I, I want this child to learn the things that they need to learn to be able to go out and live in this world. Um, in one of the chapters, uh, I, uh, I borrow from a child a psychologist uh, who suggests uh, eight tasks that are a part of what a parent needs to be doing with their child to help them find their way out in the world. Um, and those eight tasks um, are, are pretty definitive in terms of uh, how our child can be able to make a successful transfer from being our child to being their own independent person or, or maybe uh, an interdependent person. But the foundational task uh, that I put to that was that, you know, I think our, our most important task as a, as a Christian parent is to help our child find that uh, choosing of their own relationship with God uh, in an adult kind of fashion so that, that they then can use that um, uh, as the foundation for all of these other tasks that are part of what they have to learn to take care of themselves. You also say in your book that parents should get to know their teenagers. My guess is many parents probably think that they know them already. So what do you mean by that, and how do you do it? Well, it's... Um, Teenagers don't necessarily want to be known. <laughs> by, the, by the time they get to that, but they're, they're trying to find their own identify, uh, identity by kind of uh, hiding a lot of things from their parents, or maybe not hiding so much, it's just not disclosing uh, so much of themselves. And so part of it is being there, being uh, available, being around, paying attention, 
to what's going on. Um, I've, I've talked to way too many parents over the years who said, you know, I was so glad, you know, when my child became a teenager because then they could take care of themselves. And I, you know, I was kind of, uh, you know, less uh, involved and less needy of yes. uh, being there. And that's just not true. They probably need us more as teenagers uh, than, than they have at almost any other stage in their life, except they need us to not be nosily involved in their life, <laughs> but but aware, inviting their friends to the to our home, um, uh, making sure that we understand a little bit more about the the environment that they are in outside of our home. It's a scary world yes. uh, out, out there for um, more for parents. Kids are kind of oblivious sometimes to the things that they might be getting themselves into, but. But, uh, you know, as parents, we often can see, you know, some of the choices that their peers are making. We worry about the alcohol. We worry about the drugs. We worry about the sexual messages that they're getting from everywhere. Kids look at at parents many times as wanting to keep them from having fun because uh, the messages that they're getting from the media, from the music many of them are listening to, is that um, drugs and alcohol are are funny. I mean, there's the humor attached to a lot of the things that they see on TV. Uh, that sexual activity is normal and it's something that they should be looking to um, being involved in. Um, and it's, you know, all of those things that we as parents want to uh, spare them from any regrets about. And there's the need to, in a way, start raising your teenagers long before they are teens, connecting with your child as, as a young child, so that that kind of lays the groundwork for those troubled teen years. Mm-hmm. I worked with parent co-op preschool uh, a number of years ago for one of the, with one of the community colleges, and uh, as a parent education instructor, uh, I did a parent program every month. One of the programs I did every year uh, was titled, What Kind of Teenager Do You Want to Live With? And, and these were parents of three-, four-, five-year-old kids. And, and I would bring a panel of teenagers, five or six teenagers from my church, uh, and they would talk about, being being teenagers and uh, and the messages that they got from their parents and you know and what was keeping them kind of from making bad choices and the parents were able to ask them questions but the interesting thing was that most of these parents um, hadn't really considered beyond their three four five year olds <laughs> uh, and and how the impact of what they were doing with those children uh, in their early years was going to impact on the kind of teenager that they would have to be living with eventually. Can I ask you about peer groups? Does a parent necessarily have to like or accept a peer group of their teen, especially if alarm bells are ringing about that group? I think one of the frightening things for parents is that their child will be choosing their peer group. Uh, and the, the, the parent may or may not have uh, as much influence in that as they would like to. But I, I think that if we have chosen um, um, to be aware of what is going on in our child's life, inviting their friends into our home so that we know who their friends are, know who their parents are, know some things about them. Um, sometimes our kids don't want to bring their friends to our home uh, for a variety of reasons, or their friends don't want to come, but... I think if we can have some kind of an impact on someone else's child, it may influence our own child in a positive way, too. Uh, And again, that starts early, because if you're waiting until they're 16 or 17 and involved with a bunch of kids who don't want to have adults around uh, telling them anything, uh, it's probably going to be a little bit more difficult or maybe too late to have an influence there. But 
the peer group is going, this is the group of people that um, is going to rule our world one day. Yes. You know, uh, it's not going to be too long until this, this um, group of teenagers are going to be uh, making the choices for our, all the areas that we live in. And, and so to be able to have some kind of an influence in, in any way that a parent can on your child's friends, um, I have a, a little poster in my office waiting room that says, um, if parents don't take an active role in forming their, child, their child's life, then other forces will. And so that's kind of an important statement to parents to realize how important it is that they be very involved um, in a subtle way with their teenager. Connie, what shapes your approach to discipline? Uh, how sensitive does discipline need to be? But also there's the other extreme where you actually enlisted authorities to uh, bring about some degree of discipline or order into your child's life. Well, I think if we look at the, the word discipline, basically we're looking at the idea of teaching, discipling our children, teaching them. We, we tend to use the word discipline as, as some kind of a, a directional tool, I guess, in, in helping our children to know what is right and what is wrong. But I think the important thing is, uh, you know, at, at any any stage, of course, early, early on we're, we're doing things a little bit differently in, in helping to form our children's behavior a little bit, or at least let them know what's acceptable. But as, as time goes on, um, it's basically really important for our children to understand that there are consequences for choices that they make. And, uh, and so if we're... If we, if we have a, a, a set of family standards and, and values that are important uh, and our, our child may be uh, wandering from those, to know that they uh, have a consequence that will come down uh, upon them. And it's, it, sometimes it's a natural consequence, but that natural consequence can be the parents saying, you know, this is what's going to happen. Um, I, I talked to a, a, a grandmother a while back ago who's raising a, a, her, her grandchild, and the grandchild is 10, I believe, um, and she had done something uh, that was um, uh, outside of the grandmother's um, discipline rules, <laughs> and um, she had grounded her for 30 days. And, uh, and so 30 days of grounding for a, a kid can help them to understand a little bit of the uh, consequence of what might be happening, but also it, it needs to be maybe short enough for a younger child to, to uh, 30 days is like a lifetime for a 10-year-old. Yes. For a 16-year-old uh, or 15-year-old or 16-year-old, the worst thing that could happen is you take away their cell phone for a day. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. It becomes really important for parents to understand, you know, what are the, what are the most painful things to their child uh, and, and to be able to say, you know, if this happens or if this doesn't happen, you know, then this is what's going to be happening so that they understand uh, early on what the consequences will be. They're not just surprised yes. when they've done something that uh, often ask parents, you know, what are, what are the bottom line rules and do your kids know those things and what happens, do they know what will happen if they break those rules or if they don't uh, pay attention to them. Yes. Connie, can I ask about the parents of teens and how important it is for you to work with your partner in this process because this can also put a tremendous strain on marriages this time. I have a chapter on my marriage. Um, I title it, you know, a mom and dad uh, are also husband and wife. And, and so at this point, in, uh, when, it, when there's a lot of stuff going on that is disrupting the family, it becomes sometimes a, a blame game. You know, mom thinks dad didn't do enough or dad thinks mom's too harsh or vice versa. And, 
and it can become uh, a really important part of the marriage relationship to be able to communicate with each other about the things that um, are important mutually and uh, being able to make a firm stand you know together so that the kids know that mom and dad love each other first and because they love each other first they love those kids with all their hearts and are going to make sure that they um, have the right kind of discipline the right kind of, of training the right kind of uh, structure that will help them to grow into strong people yes. and that's that's what we want we want our children to grow up into strong individuals who can can meet the world and, and, and contribute to it and, and find a relationship with God that really gives them a foundation for life. Yes. Can I wrap up our conversation by asking you two similar questions? If there was one thing that you could say to teens and one thing that you could say to parents about this time and about this process, what would you say first to the teens? This is a hard one because, you know, our um, our son uh, wrote a, a couple paragraphs in the, one of the chapters at the end of the book, and pretty much what he said was when he was in that frame of mind, there wasn't anything anybody could say to him that would have changed his direction. He didn't want to hear it. He wasn't open to it. But if I were, and I do say this to teens uh, in my office um, all the time, you know, uh, your parents love you. They may not have done everything right. They may not have done everything exactly the way you wanted them to do it, but they love you and they care about you. And um, and I've heard kids say, uh, you know, my uh, my parents don't trust me. And my response to them is, and this might be what I would like to say to every teen, you know, uh, it's not a question of whether your parents trust you. It's whether you're, you can trust your parent. You need to trust your parents to have uh, love for you and, and caring for you that goes beyond uh, anything that you can imagine. So trust them, even though they may make some mistakes, uh, that trust them to, to want the best for you and, and listen to them. And what would you say to parents? One thing to parents about this process. Never give up. <laughs> it's, it's never too late, too late to connect with your child in a positive way. You know, they, they may vehemently reject attempts to show caring and love, but do it anyway. You know, just, just keep on keeping on. Uh, and that may mean sometimes making some hard choices like, you know, you can't live here anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we don't see things uh, the same way. We have uh, disagreeable times all the time because we just can't seem to figure out how to make it work. And so at a point, and that's not at 15 or 16, it might not even be at 20, <laughs> because, you know, sometimes there are other issues that are part of that. Maybe this child has um, got some uh, mental or emotional uh, problems that need to be addressed by a professional. Um, maybe there are some physical things going on. And, and so I think a parent has to do everything that they possibly can to rule out uh, areas that, that uh, a child simply doesn't have the capability of dealing with some things. and um, But most of all, being able to make sure that that child knows that you have not rejected them, that you, you love them, you care about them, and um, and maybe it's a time to apologize to them for some things that you know were uh, made difficulties for them. A lot of a lot of kids are growing up in families where there's a second or a third or a fourth marriage or are people living together, and and uh, so a parent sometimes feels so at fault maybe for things. But you know, it, you can always go to your child and say, "I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry that you know that uh, some of the things that maybe I have." done or not done 
have impacted on you, but uh, I want to make that right. So from now on, this is the way it's going to be. And sometimes that means laying the law down a little bit harder. And sometimes it means backing off a little. (laughs) And never give up, as you say. Connie Ray, I'm sure this has been a tremendously helpful conversation for many people tonight. Connie is the author of the book Hope for Parents of Troubled Teens, and we'll put the details up on our Open House community Facebook page. Connie, thanks so much for joining us on Open House. Thank you so much for inviting me. I've enjoyed it. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.